Jim Stroud fights to save America from the woke agenda by exposing the left and inspiring right turns with facts and informed opinions. Prepare yourself for intriguing interviews, political snark, and social commentary from a patriotic and conservative perspective. And it all starts in three, two, one. The Things I Think About podcast begins now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another exciting episode of the Things I Think About podcast. I'm your host, Jim Stroud. And with me, as always, is a very special guest. Special guest, tell us, who are you and what do you do? Well, first of all, Jim, thank you so much for having me on. My name is Kendall Qualls. And the first thing I have to do to introduce myself, I've come to the face. I'm a Christian first, a husband of 35 years, a father of five children, and a grateful, grateful man. Um, because I am blessed, um, but I lead and founded an organization called Take Charge. It's a nonprofit with the underlying message: take charge of your life, your family, your community. Um, because in the in the world we still live in today, regardless of skin color, we can do that without asking permission from any politician and from any government to take charge of our own lives. Um, go ahead, Jim. I was, I was just going to step in here with five kids. I guess you don't have cable TV. <laughs> <laughs> or any other hobbies I'm, I'm guessing well you know you know what they were my hobbies because you know what I, to that point um you know i started my life in harlem uh, my parents divorced when i was five years old my dad came back from the vietnam war in the late 60s and um you know, it just shattered our family just literally shattered our family we mm. moved from fort campbell kentucky home of the 101st airborne to harlem in the late 1960s and uh, literally got off the Greyhound bus, take a city bus to Harlem, and we're one block away from my grandparents' apartment and we're held up in broad daylight. Wow. And we said, luggage in hand. I'll never forget my mother's words. Please, mister, this is all the money I have. I had five kids. And some guy standing five feet away said to her, lady, you better give that man all your money. He doesn't care if you have five kids or 10 kids. Mm. That's day one, luggage in hand. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, my older brothers and sisters, I was on the younger side, they, they got caught up in the street culture of Harlem. And um, it's like a nuclear bomb went off in our, on our family. Um, I, three of my siblings were incarcerated. I had my, uh, my younger brother who later, who later went back to Oklahoma with my father. So my father came and got me and my younger brother to live with him after about four years there because uh, my mom just couldn't do it on her own. You know, God bless her. She just wanted to be a mom. She had the weight of the world on her shoulders and anxiety and just you know, dumped in the wrong place at the wrong time of our, of our era of our country. And um, so my father came and got me and my younger brother to live with him in Oklahoma. He was a drill sergeant, still paying alimony and child support. And uh, all he could afford was a trailer in, in a small trailer park. And, you know, I tell people, I got my start in life. I've been called a lot of bad things, trailer trash, ghetto kid, and a lot worse. But what I've learned about our country is where you start in life is not where you have to stay in life. A lot of this has to do with choices we make. And, um, you know, unfortunately we, you know, my siblings, they, they made bad choices. I mourn for them daily. 
um, and there's and their nieces and nephews. And so anyway, um, I I didn't know how to get get ahead. I didn't know what it meant to you know to be successful. All I knew it started with an education. Education is the great equalizer. I paid my way through college. I was an ROTC in college. I was in the Army Reserves in college. I got commissioned when I was 19 years old as a second lieutenant. Wow. Because I was in both. And I was started getting early leadership training at a very, very young age. And uh, if you have read the book, Malcolm Gladwell, um, it's called Outliers. Yep. It talks about this concept of 10,000 hours mm-hmm. of getting high level of performance. Mm-hmm. And in that, he talks about Michael Jordan and Bill Gates computers and all that. So I was getting leadership training as part of my 10,000 hours when I was 19. Mm-hmm. I had men reporting into me that were my father's age. And uh, I made all the goofy mistakes you'd make as a junior leader at a very young age before going on active duty after I graduated from college. Wow. That, that's amazing. One thing that, that, that stood out to me, I won't say is... Uh, well, and, and to some degree, it's, it's a privilege to grow up with a father. So many in our community don't have that. And I want to uh, commend your mother for, uh, for uh, recognizing um, her need to uh, give you to your father, so to speak, and to, to assist, uh, assist her in that way and also to, to grow you up in that way. I think um, a lot of the women that, that I've spoken to or been interacted with um, in these modern times, they're used to raising up young boys themselves into men. And it's not quite the same as when you have a, a man raising a man as, as when a woman is raising a man. Do you find that to be the, the case? Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the, one of the things I advocate for. That's why I'm on a crusade mm. to help transition our culture, transform it back to where we used to be. I can tell you, you know, here's one thing. I, I had the love of a mother, I had the discipline of a father. I just never had them together. And I had a lot of I have I had a lot of resentment for my dad for what he did to the family. I've since forgiven him out of you know out of my faith and everything and in Christ. But here's I can tell you one thing that kept me out of trouble. I mean, literally, I would have been like my siblings if my if it wasn't for that interaction with my father. Even though I had a lot of resentment toward him, one of the benefit I did get from him is a good work ethic. Um, he didn't he didn't drink, and he I'll never forget. He said, you know what, Kendall, whenever I go out and have party. I never have to drink to have fun. I have a good time. And I and that, that's something that I learned. And the second thing is, is the whole discipline, never getting in trouble. When your father's a drill sergeant, you can get in, you can get in trouble one time. <laughs> yeah. The next time you're on the missing persons report, <laughs> have you seen this child? <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's a different generation now. Like when I was growing up, everybody was your mother. Everybody was your father in your neighborhood. We all knew each other. If you yeah. did something down the street you weren't supposed to do, uh, they would get on you. Then they would call your mom or your pop. And then when you get home, you, you get in trouble all, all over again. We don't have that, that type of uh, family system in the community like we used to. It's, it's, it's really sad. Well, we're going to bring that back. Um, okay. So here, here's what this is part of what Take Charge is doing. Mm-hmm. One of our principles, one of our pillars is restoring oh, the hold on. Expl- explain explain take charge if you would really quick yeah so it's the nonprofit i started and it was it was a nonprofit i started after i ran for u.s congress um i've never been involved in politics i never wanted to be i felt obligated to step forward and serve our country because mm-hmm. of the of the the mischaracterization of of the country mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the country used to be systemically racist but the mm-hmm. country we live in today my father and my grandfather 
would have loved to live and grown up in America that we have today versus the America they grew up in. Sure. And for us not to acknowledge that progress is a shameful, repugnant, and it's wrong. And uh, look, I'm not excusing any past behavior and any past wrongs, mm. but uh, to keep carrying that baggage for this long, it, it's, it does not serve us well. So Take Charge um, is really my campaign message on steroids. You know, I, I didn't win in my district. It was a, the, the, the western suburbs of the, of the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, the most affluent district in the state. And, and a lot of my supporters told me, that, you know, Kendall, we need you to stick around. Your message resonated. It just didn't resonate enough. In fact, as a first-time down-ballot candidate, I got 5% more votes than President Trump and 5% more votes than the senatorial statewide candidate. Wow. Wow. And so we, we started um, Take Charge on, on uh, January 18th, Martin Luther King holiday. And I am busier now than I was on a campaign trail because of the messages resonating. I've been traveling the state, traveling the country based on unsolicited speaking requests. Mm. It's incredible. But one of the transformations that we want to focus on is a return of the, of the Black community to where we were before we had help from the government. Right. In our lifetime, Jim, in our lifetime, we've gone from 80% two-parent families to 80% fatherless homes yep. without one national initiative to reverse the trend. That's because they don't want to reverse the trend. You can be controlled when, when you're a steward of the state, literally a ward of the state. We can't take, take care of our women and children. That's a national catastrophe. I tell people, if we... If we were a spotted owl or, or the gray wolf, we would be on an endangered species list. Yeah. Literally on endangered species. There would be galas and fundraisers and, and, and bumper stickers saying, save the black family next, right next to the bumper sticker that said free Tibet. Mm -hmm. We've been used for 50 years for political reason, and it stops right now. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I, 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 I will stand up at the, if the uh, audience could see me, I'll be standing up and copying my hands here. I think uh, your message is definitely resonating with me. I've been noticing this decline for a long time. Uh, it's, it, it, it wasn't sudden for me. Uh, it was it, it was gradual. And just one day I looked around, I was like, wow, because I'm used to growing where I grew up. I think that everyone grew up that same way. Mother and father in the home stayed together. Um, uh, we lived in a neighborhood where everybody knew each other. Everybody took care of one another. Um, and when I look around now, it's just so different. I, I remember when I was coming up and maybe our, our, my father has a military background too. So it's probably, uh, how I can identify a lot of what you said. If I would ask my dad for money to take uh, my girl out to, to the movies, he said, I'll, I'll be nice and give you $5 for this gas can. You take the gas can to that lawnmower, you go next door, ask them to cut their grass. <laughs> and you cut the next person's grass and you want to feed the girl? Okay. Now you need to go down two more yards and cut their grass. And that's, that's where that work ethic came from. I have been in the house I've been in for well over a decade. I have never had a kid, not say a kid, anyone under 21, knock on my door and say, can I cut your grass? Can I rake your leaves? I mean, that, when I was growing up, that was like normal. That was I, normal. I have, ne I have never seen a kid, anyone under 21 knock on my door and say, can I do anything around your house for a few bucks? Never have. 
you know, that, that's the problem we have. A lot of our kids, especially in the suburbs, they, they suffer from, I call it affluenza. <laughs> yeah, I know the term. Mm-hmm. And, and um, but, you, you know, this this issue in our in our family, in our culture, I tell people that today what we have. And what we see in our inner cities in the black community, this is not the black culture. This is mm-hmm. not who we used to be. Right. It's not. Um, and, and, you know, and here's the thing I can tell you, I, I'll talk to a lot of black women in our community and they'll tell you, they'll tell me, you know, I don't want to raise my children. You know, God did not intend for women to raise children alone. Mm. And they don't want to raise them because they don't want a baby daddy. Mm. They want someone to stay in their lives permanently. We just don't know how to do it. Yeah. So we're, we're starting with the, from the ground up. I've got, I've got uh, volunteers here in the, in the twin cities. Some, you know, men that were former gang members, uh, guys that have never gotten into trouble, they're corporate executives, same thing with women. We have nearly 30 now. We want to try targeting 50 by the end of the year. And 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 to help with, with air support. So the volunteers or the ground troops mm. with air support is, is our media platform. We've grown the largest media platform of video vignettes, short little videos of black Americans speaking proudly about the country saying, hey, look, we need to go back to our cultural roots of faith, family, and education and denouncing critical race theory. Oh, love it. Love that. Love that. I, I think that's very powerful what you're doing. I mean, the media is really key, I think, to changing our, our culture. Um, another cultural change I've noticed growing up, uh, I, I was really into hip hop growing up, not so much now. Maybe I'm too old, <laughs> but I was more into hip hop when I was younger. And back then you had there were Queen Latifah, Public Enemy, Boogie Down Productions. It was all positive, a lot of positivity. Then NWA came in, they became a big, huge success. And it, and it became super cool to be a gangster and call women all kinds of names, whatnot. And it just became accepted and it, it rolled on from there. I would love to see a resurgence of positivity in our music. I think that would be a really strong um, stepping stone into, into changing things to a more positive vibe. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, of course. So here, so I, I'm a little bit older than you. So I came up, so I was, um, I'm in my uh, late fifties. I, f- I feel like I'm in my late forties, but I'm in my late, <laughs> I look like I'm in my late seventies, but, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I came up with, when Motown was just heading out and in, in the bands and stuff of the seventies. In early '80s, and um, here's here's what, what here's what I've learned. Just it, it doesn't matter what culture. Culture, your the art reflects the culture. Mm. It could be painting, it could be music, it could be anything. Art itself reflects the culture. The, the music that I remember growing up, Motown, is a lot of love, relationship, everything. You know, Sam Cooke, all of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The Temptations. Mm-hmm. It meant love. You hear family relationships reflect the culture. Today, to your point, why so violent is because our culture is so violent. Our mm. families are so violent. Mm. And until we get our culture back, you're not going to see the art transformed. Yeah. yeah. Once you start seeing a transformation in the art, it's the reflection of we're heading in the right direction in our culture. Yeah, that's a good point. I would love to see it. I would love to see that. I would love to see more fathers in the home, or or, or the very ideally fathers in the home, but more more um, 
black men in schools teaching, being principals. Uh, my pastor, he was a teacher uh, before he went full time in, in the pastorate. And he would tell stories how he was like the only, he was like maybe one, maybe four or five others in the whole school that were male, you know. And when they would have fire drills or something, they, he and the other male teachers would be the first ones outside looking around just so they can be some kind of presence that men are there. So, you know, you're going to act crazy. <laughs> yeah. Some brothers, they're going to take care of some business. They have to. Right. You don't, I don't even know how many black men are school teachers these days. I mean, do you? Well, it's a very small number on, and for many reasons, but to, to that point, so it's not only just black men being fathers, we have to condition our young people to expect marriage, hmm. to want it, to want it, to, hmm. to expect it as they grow, as they grow up in middle school, you know, elementary, middle school and high school is almost too late and may start conditioning it. Hmm. But we have over 200 nonprofit programs here in, in the Twin Cities, not one of them talks about marriage. That's what we do. We, we get in front of these young kids and we show them what an intact young family looks like. Our volunteers, we have two and three different um, black families, mom, mm -hmm. dad, little kids. And we get them in front of all these kids in the neighborhood where none of them, none of them on their street, you'll see an intact black family mm -hmm. because it's important for them to visualize it so they can internalize it for their own future. Mm -hmm. Um, th that's important. So yes, we need to get, you know, fathers today, but even just as important in our schools, in our churches, every environment, we need to get our young men and young girls to expect marriage. And, um, from that perspective, it's, it's unfortunate what, what we're teaching our kids to expect welfare in a subsidized, yeah. in a subsidized apartment yeah. that has to change. And unfortunately we don't have elected leaders or community leaders directing this type of cultural change and it's something we have to do in what units it doesn't doesn't matter your political background no civilization on this planet has the number of fatherless homes than we do in this culture and we didn't used to live this way it has nothing to do with arrests and have nothing to do with with uh, systemic racism because even at our worst time in american history when we're being lynched in the South, Jim Crow laws and the worst of the depression, our families were nearly 90% two-parent families. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's critical for us to put that as a priority and we can do it without any permission from the government or any politician. Amen, amen. As a, something that you may want to look into if, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not already aware, because uh, I was talking about this on an earlier podcast, uh, there was a, some research uh, from Rasmussen or some some big group out there, and they were measuring the success rates of African Americans who are native born versus um, uh, foreign born blacks who come into the country. So you, if you look at uh, people from the Caribbean or yep. Nigerians especially, you know uh, they um, their families are intact, strong work ethic. They have two or three different jobs, <laughs> two or three different businesses. And as a whole, overall, they do very, very well. I think it's they're on par with maybe Asians in this country where uh, having a PhD is 
pretty much normal or pretty much apropos for, for that community. And when I hear people talk about systemic racism or the man won't let me get ahead, I look at, I say, well, what about these Nigerians who unmistakably look, look black and they are hugely successful. And when you speak to people uh, who are from Nigeria, uh, and I'm just thinking of them particularly because I, I know some, uh, they have a strong family unit typically, typically uh, very uh, bullish on education. And above all, what stands out to me about them, what I've noticed is that they have a strong sense of accountability. They don't do the woe is me. They don't do, I can't do it because of that. It's like, all this stuff doesn't matter. It's just an obstacle made for me to jump over. I'm going to achieve, I'm going to achieve. And it's up to me. Even if I don't get it, whatever I get is going to be because of what I did. And that kind of accountability and drive, I don't see a lot in our community, in our culture now. I see a lot of, of a blame game. You know, and I think part of it comes from critical race theory, saying that I'm oppressed from being born and all this other kind of crazy stuff. But when I see over on the right-hand side, Nigerians making it happen, coming from another country, coming over here, making it happen. And then I see people born over here, not getting it. It, 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 it just drives me crazy. It's like, it's, it's only your mind. Well, and, and, and this, again, this is another reason why I'm getting involved. Um, you can only sit on the sidelines and complain so much before mm-hmm. you have to say, look, either you're going to be part of the solution or part of the problem, or you can't complain. So that's what I'm doing. Because here's the scenario. And, and, and Jim, I don't know if this has happened to you. It's mm-hmm. happened a lot in a lot of the communities that, you know, that I've been in growing up, my, my siblings, my cousins, and all of them. We've been indoctrinated since knee high. Sure. You can't trust a white man. Sure. They're not going to let you get ahead. Yep. I mean, from, from five years old and on, and I've heard it all the way until I was 45 years old, mm-hmm. that they don't want nothing. They're going to they're gonna put you down. They're going to get in your way. I mean, that kind of thinking, and once you get that in your mind, you almost have a, you're, so you're almost defeated before you even try. So the reasons why the Nigerians do well, I, and I do have the data, they earn 17% more than the average American. Mm-hmm. Not the average Black American. They earn 17% more than the average American. And to your point, they haven't spent years being indoctrinated that the man is out to get them and want to hold them down. Um, if anything, they want to achieve. And these are these people um, that you're referring to, and I know the data well, these are refugees or lucky to be here in America. They could have gone to any Western country they wanted. They could have gone to Canada, Australia, um, any of these Western countries. They chose to come here. And I tell people, you know what they call themselves once they get their, U, their U.S. citizenship and they get sworn in? Nigerians, Indians, Chinese, it doesn't matter. You know what? They, they get on Facebook Live and they say, guess what they say? I am an American now. That's good. And we've been told to hate the country ever since we were kids. And, and that, that's the biggest problem. So those are the things that we're developing this platform to let, let people see. They're, we're developing a, a, a following of intact families proud to be American. Yes, we know our history, but every country has a history like ours were worse, absolutely worse than ours. And here's the thing I tell people right now, this is gonna be the most um, thought provoking statement, but it's gonna be the actual truest thing. This is the least racist time period in our country's history. I hear you. You pause that for have that process, the reason why that sounds so provocative because we've been hearing the exact opposite, you know, you know, 24-7 from all the you know, surround sound 
but it's not true. I, you know, your grandparents would love to be raised as live in America that we have today versus what they grew up in. Yeah. Any place I lived, any place I lived, if I bought nine different homes over the course of my corporate career. I, I, I got every home that I wanted. No, I, I wasn't redlined out. No one treated me bad. There was no crosses in front of my yard. If anything, people from the neighborhood came with pies and they weren't poisoned. <laughs> you know, to your point, uh, hearing so much anti-American rhetoric growing up, being indoctrinated for such a, for such a uh, from a young age to, 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 uh, to when you're older. I wonder if that, if you add all those hours up, would it be over 10,000 hours? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. You're absolutely right. To your point, you've learned it at that point. It becomes part of your habits. That's right. Part of you. Uh, this has been a very interesting conversation. I feel like I go on for hours. Uh, if someone wanted to get more information about your Take Charge initiative and just more about you, how can they find you online? Sure, absolutely. It's uh, TakeChargeMN.com, TakeChargeMikeNovember.com. Great. And to make it easy, I'll also leave, leave a link in it to a link to your website in the podcast description. So, uh, Mr. Qualls, thank you so much. <laughs> All right. I really appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. You just heard the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, Jim Stroud wants to hear from you. Contact him at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And while you're at it, share this podcast and spread the word that it's up to us to save America. Okay, so when I was growing up, we had these classes called auto tech, where they taught you how to do things on a car. And they also had wood tech and, and metal tech, how to build stuff from wood and metal. And I bring that up for, for a couple of reasons. One, I would love to see those kind of classes back in our public schools or just the schools in general, because I think that if uh, our young men could learn the uh, blue collar type of stuff, you know, they'll always have a job for, for sure, you know, and they can always build a business off, off of those skills. Uh, secondarily, if they had those skills and they had those jobs, they had those businesses, then that would elevate our community economically, right? And then I think a, a different type of challenge will come about. Let me get your, your opinion on this. I have been hearing a lot, about, well, I've been watching recently this uh, YouTuber, Kevin Samuels. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he talks a lot about, uh, he's, a, he's an image consultant, style consultant. He talks a lot about relationships and so forth. And we, when uh, a lot of women, partic particularly black women, but not exclusively, but a lot of black women go into his show and he'll ask them, he says, okay, so uh, what is your ideal man? You know, who do you want to marry? Because these are women that are in their late 20s, some are in their late 30s and, and so on. And they'll say, well, I want a guy who's six foot tall, <laughs> who has six, six pack abs and uh, who makes at least six figures of money, you know? And so he'll bring out the stats and he'll say, okay, let's look at the, the stats from the census bureau, look at stats from here, that, and the other. And the percentage of men you want is very, very small, especially if you want them to be black men, very, very small. He says, what's wrong with getting a good brother who makes, you know, 50 grand, 60 grand a year, you could have a good life. If he's working, you have a little, you know, you have a job too. You guys could 
come together and make a strong family. And that's what the community needs. And a lot of the women that he's talked to, a great number of them, they always push back on him. They feel like they'll, they'll, they don't want that. They want the six-figure guy who's super tall and handsome and all, all, all that. But they don't want the regular guy who could foreseeably really give them a good life if they, if they work together and cooperate, you know. Uh, but, but they don't want that. So all that to say, if we push in our community the need to have blue-collar skills, which we definitely need, I think another challenge would be to steer women, at least the women that I saw on the show, into thinking that you don't need somebody who can make a hundred thousand plus dollars or more. You can have a good life with a guy who makes fifty k or more. I mean, what do we? I don't know if you've come across that, but just throwing it out there for the for young brothers coming up. I mean, I'm, I'm so, already so there. Jim, so. You know what? I'm, I'm right with you. I'm right with you. So here, here's what we'll, we're focusing on for next year. Okay. There's an organization in Birmingham, Alabama called the Buildup. You can check them out online, buildup.com. Okay. They've, they've implemented this program out there for four years now, and we're going to replicate it here in the Twin Cities. I'm going out in April with a contingent of, of men in the community, business leaders, bankers, and all that. With what they've done, they brought vocational education back into high school. Mm. So instead of making ashtrays and cup holders, they're going out into neighborhoods that are these blighted neighborhoods, dilapidated homes, and they're restoring and renovating these houses. Wow. And 10th, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, they can decide those those guys at 12th grade when they graduate, they can decide to you know graduate from high school, earn 50,000 at that time. They're ready to earn 50 grand a year mm. or they can go back for two more years of getting advanced certification. And now they're earning like 70 a year. Mm. Either way, it doesn't matter if they graduate early or, or, or go for two years. The banks have partnered with this organization to give them low interest loans to purchase the homes that they've been renovating for the last three years. Wow. So wow. not only are you training, it's the fastest way to get it from poverty to prosperity into the middle class. Fastest way. Mm -hmm. And. Some of these homes that these guys are purchasing are duplexes. So they buy the duplex and they're renting out the other side. Mm. So now they're equity owners mm. and they can start a family. And so for, you know, and, and it's fine if those young women don't want, you know, these guys. And there's a plenty of, you know, Nigerian women. that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so as we as we're as we're turning around these neighborhoods mm. and we're starting families, they'll come. They'll start coming over because. You know what? When they when people start seeing something good, they'll mm -hmm. go to it. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to it. Now in Birmingham, what they've done already, they've already finished one entire complete neighborhood and renovated it. With these people now are homeowners and they've gone out to another neighborhood to, to renovate it and turn it completely around from boarded up dilapidated homes. And you've seen some of these communities, sure. And you know what? And I wouldn't necessarily call it blue collar. You know what? This is what this is what Booker T. Washington was doing after the Civil War and up into the 1900s. Yep. Give the market what they need. The, the market needs tradesmen and trade women. Mm -hmm. They need people in that in the trades, and they're earning more than some of these college-educated kids with their liberal arts or their African American studies or their woke studies. <laughs> that the, you know what you're going to do with it? You're going to be right. in a cubicle in a big company. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, we're getting ready. What I love about this, it's already been de-risked. They've been doing it for four years, and all we need to do is replicate. It's called best practices. That's what we used to implement in corporate all the time, and uh, we're going to do it to change lives. 
And well, and I hope these young ladies get on the bandwagon because you know all these guys <laughs> they're going to be marrying all these Nigerians and Cameroons and who you never know you know young Mexicans. Like, because I, I have daughters, I have daughters, mm-hmm. and I and I want them to be married. It's, it's sad for me every every wedding season. Mm-hmm. African American women, black women, are the low has the lowest percentage of getting married than any other women in yep. demographic in the country. Mm-hmm. That's this is we need a cultural transformation, and that's what we're working on. Yeah, and that's one of the things uh, Kevin Samuels was talking about uh, how it's hit our community. A lot of the women, they at least the, uh, the women who called in on his show, uh, they'll spend so much money, um, so much of their time on Instagram trying to attract a, an athlete or a rapper. They'll get uh, taken advantage of, thrown away. And then when they're in their late 30s or 40s, they're like, where are the good men at? <laughs> where are the good men? Said, That's right. Yeah. Said, the, the good men are the ones who have blue collar jobs making it happen. That's so, right. You know, the plumber. Yes. Or the welder. They're, That's those, right. those are the ones you should be chasing. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate that. I just had to get that in because I, I had a question about it, but I'm glad uh, you did. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much.